Over the last 30 years, the concept and language of spiritual formation has become more familiar in the Western Evangelical Church, and with it, the knowledge of spiritual practices, both ancient and modern, designed to encourage our growth. In this episode of Theodisc, I'm speaking with Jared Patrick Boyd about the danger of seeing spiritual formation as a mere Christian lifestyle fad, the purpose of spiritual disciplines as more than just helpful habits but ways to make visible our interior world, and how spiritual formation only fully benefits us on our journey to Christlikeness if we pursue it in community. I'm Kenny Innes, and you're listening to Theodisc, the WTC Theology Podcast. Please subscribe, share with your friends, and catch up on our previous episodes. And if you'd like to comment on something from our discussions that's provoked your thinking or been helpful, then please email us at podcast at wtctheology.org.uk. Jared Patrick Boyd is a teacher, pastor, spiritual director, and founder of the Order of the Common Life, a missional monastic order reimagining religious vocations for the whole church for the 21st century. He's part of Vineyard USA and is the author of Imaginative Prayer, a year-long guide to your child's spiritual formation, and the book we're talking about today, Finding Freedom in Constraint, Reimagining Spiritual Disciplines as a Communal Way of Life. Now, here's our conversation. Jared Boyd, thank you. It's great to have you on the Theodis podcast. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks, Kenny. Brilliant. So we're going to have a, a talk today about spiritual formation in community, really springboarding off of a book that you've written recently uh, called Finding Freedom in Constraint. Um, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But before we do, you have to run the gauntlet um, of three questions um, that I'm going to ask all of our first time guests, just so our listeners can get to know you just just a little bit. And these are questions that really revolve around things that are constants for you, things that you return to. Um, so, three categories are a book you return to, mm. a food or a meal you return to, and a place or physical location. So let's go for um, a book first. A book I return to. That's really hard. I know. I love I love books. I think, I think the one that's coming to my mind, there's probably a dozen that I return to at least, but um, uh, the one that's coming to my mind is this little book by Frederick Buechner um, called Godric. Mm. And it's about uh, sort of a historical fiction of a, of a medieval hermit. Oh, wow. Uh, I think it's beautifully written. Uh, Frederick Buechner is one of my favorite authors. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Godric. If, if your listeners haven't read Godric, they need to read Godric. I need to check that out. I'm aware of him, but I've, not, I've never come across that one. So cool. And then a meal, a meal would be at least once a week. I go, there's a local Vietnamese place that I go and have a bowl of uh, beef pho. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, particularly in the winter. It's just, uh, it sort of keeps me going. Yeah. When I, uh, I used to live in Texas and use a Vietnamese restaurant in every corner. In Scotland, it's a little harder to find, but we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um. A place I would return to, the thing that's coming to my mind is I've always had like a special chair where I pray. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, that's just what's coming to my mind. So currently I have a an old black leather chair in my attic. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of my little prayer corner. So yeah, that's probably that's probably what for what it is for me. 
Thank you. All right, now we kind of know you <laughs> a little bit of a percentile, but that's great. Thanks for thanks for opening up before we begin. So I really wanted to speak to you about your book. And before we get into kind of some of the ideas that you're exploring in there, it'd be good to hear about your own journey of spiritual formation, what you mean when you talk about spiritual formation, because that's a term that's really in the air um, in a lot of places at the moment, and just how you have been drawn into adopting disciplines um, that really help you engage with the work of Jesus in your life. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, spiritual formation is, is sort of in the, there's a big tailwind, thank God, um, for exploring what this might mean for us in the local church and what it might mean for us in our lives. And I think for me, um, one of the questions that that brings up for me is like, well, what, what, unto what are we being formed? And, you know, this, you guys are a theology institute. And so like theologically, like I've grabbed onto this theology from the Eastern Orthodox church around uh, theosis, mm -hmm. this idea that, that we are, um, by grace becoming what Christ is um, in, in his nature. And yeah. so that's like the, the classic formulation from St. Athanasius. And so, okay, so spiritual formation, I'm being formed to be like Jesus, um, which I take to mean I'm being formed to learn how to love in the way in which God loves, self-sacrificially, um, steadily, uh, pouring oneself out for the sake of others. And so um, I think in my framework, uh, and, and I'm not the only one who thinks this way, but I think formation is the mission. Mm. You know, it's the mission of God in our lives. And then once we have some, some formation at work inside of us, then we have something to give away. And I think that's why there's such a tailwind of this right now is that people are recognizing like, if we're going to do something in the world, we have to have it ourselves at work inside of us. So, Yeah. Was it Dallas Willard that said that the, something along the lines of the, the gift that we bring to God at the end of our earthly lives is actually the person that we've become mm. um, rather than any specific thing? I, I love that idea. I don't know if he said that. It sounds like Dallas. Um, <laughs> it sounds like him. And... And, and yeah, it's the person that we have become by the grace of God. Yeah. That's, that's the part that I always am interested in thinking about when we talk about spiritual formation, because there's a tendency when people latch on to spiritual formation and practices and disciplines is to think that we are sort of making something of ourselves. Right. And man, the, the more I sit with all of this, is we have to just underscore that it's the grace of God doing the work inside of us. And this is the thing that I was kind of referring to earlier about, you know, that spiritual formation is a term that's in the air. One of the concerns that I have is that it's maybe more commonly seen as kind of a full on idea. Mm. So here's another, here's another tool in your toolbox or we're so good in our Western evangelical context about taking something and marketing it. Mm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it becomes as attractive as one other thing. Um, and God forbid, even a, a, like you've said, a way towards self-help or making something of yourself. Mm. But you, you've kind of talked a lot in the book um, about 
this being an opening of ourselves to the love of God um, and that, that that enables us to love others and that that's really the only true thing that can, that can actually change us. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really believe that the only, the only real thing that's happening is the love of God at work in our lives. And um, part of what the book is about is this idea that there are so many ways in which God is pouring out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And yet our attentiveness to that <laughs> is the problem, is that we're not tuned in, we're not attentive to the way in which God is loving us. And oftentimes that attentiveness is blocked by historically what are just like called the passions. So there's a, a conversation in the book around the ancient idea of the passions, which sort of ended up as like seven deadly sins. But it's this idea that there are these root mm-hmm. um, desires and emotions inside of us that have bent us away from the love of God and bent us towards love of other things. And part of our work in participating with what God is doing in our lives is um, allowing God to heal the unhealed passions inside of us. Things like um, lust and gluttony and envy and pride and vainglory. Um, uh, that then, as God does that work, we become more receptive. There's just more room in our life mm-hmm. to receive and to pay attention to the love of God for us. I was thinking about this the other day because I was feeling particularly um, anxious and kind of had this thought in the back of my head of, of how I was kind of navigating this day absent of God's presence, um, meaning he's not coming close to me. Mm. <laughs> and so I just stopped for five minutes. That's right. Um, what I was doing and was overwhelmed by the sense of God's presence. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we think that he is distant when actually maybe it's more that we are. That's that's right. Or distracted. Yeah. You know, we're, we're distracted. We're, we're caught up in our own strength. Um, that's sort of where I, you know, I, when I get overwhelmed and I step back, it's usually because like, I've just taken on a burden that just wasn't mine to carry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Lord gently reminds me like, Hey, like I'm actually the one carrying this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you, I don't know what you're trying to lift, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. So that re- that requires us to in some way stop or peel back from or refocus our attention to become aware of those desires and there's a an element of constraint um in that. Um I think as culturally a lot of us are living out of an idea, a principle that we all are kind of autonomous beings that are free to pursue our own happiness, our own desires, our own aims. Mm. Um, but you kind of have a different definition of freedom, including this idea of freedom by way of constraint. Can you maybe talk a little bit to that? Yeah, so the idea of freedom, um, in at least in an American Western culture, I don't know, um, I haven't spent a lot of time in, in the UK or in, in Europe, mm. but for Americans, freedom is the ability to do whatever I want to do. Hey, listen, don't worry. When you when you guys sneeze, we catch the cold. So it's all right. We have it here. Is too. that right? Okay. So, um, and what, I mean, and this is just sort of uh, in the in the air of like what it means to sort of live in a Western world. It's like freedom um, has in many ways been the story of 
Western civilization, like free from outside oppression, mm-hmm. which is real freedom. You know, like it's, we, we need that kind of concept of freedom. But the way the early church fathers and the early monastic stream talks about freedom is more of an internal thing, like the freedom to be able to do what I really, really want to do. Um, and if we, if we stop to think about it, there are so many w- things that we really wish were true of our lives um, that we can't seem to sort of pull off. Mm. Um, so like w- one of the quotes that I, that I share in the book is this quote of, of Thomas Merton, which, which ends with this idea that he has become enslaved to competing hungers within him. Um, and St. Augustine says the same kinds of stuff. And so um, the whole tradition of formation, which which comes to us from this monastic stream, recognizes that um, the real battle, the thing that's primarily really preventing us from our formational work is not external things. It's not the job I have or the person I'm married to or, you know, my kids or whatever. And we tend to think about, yeah. man, if I could just get this external thing situated i could grow spiritually right you know um in in the monastic tradition it's the complete opposite it's that all of my bondage is internal to me and um we cry out to the lord lord would you would you free me of this and we invite god to do that work and we partner with god to do that work and then and then oftentimes it's really painful Hmm. because we are really grabbing onto the stuff yeah um so that's the concept of freedom that that I'm, I'm working with and playing with in the book. And then the constraint piece is um, the, the way of life or the rule of life or the spiritual disciplines that we take on in order to get us in touch with what's actually really going on on the inside. So you mentioned Dallas Willard. I'll just give an example. He, when he talks about fasting, like he just says, it's really, it's really easy when you fast to come in contact with your need of mm-hmm. God and your need of the gifts of God. And he says, so the, the purpose of fasting is not to become heroic. It's to recognize our weakness before God and our humanity before him. And I view all of the disciplines and constraints, their task is to reveal to us the true nature of our humanity, um, which then allows us to call out for God to come and help us. The phrase that I came across a couple of times in your writing was this making visible our interior world. Yes. Which seems, you know, and that seems so, that, all, that idea almost seems hidden when we hear talk about spiritual disciplines because it does feel very much like it is these are good habits that make us somehow more more spiritually capable but this idea that they're actually drawing us into an awareness of our weakness yeah that's a whole different thing yeah so like take for example one of the practices one of the um the pieces of this book is a chapter on solitude and silence Mm -hmm. and i talk about solitude and silence as allowing our lives to be constrained to the very present moment like right now in quiet. And I don't know what that's like for you or for, you know, your listeners, but for me, when I get quiet and alone, I become really present to a lot of weird things happening inside of me. 
it's it's in that place I become present to um, the shame that is bubbling up, or I get present to um, the emotions that I have numbed for a bit. Uh, it's also that place that we get present to the joy and the gladness mm-hmm. and um, and the contentment that we're experiencing. But it's it's the constraining of ourselves to the right now, I'm going to spend some time alone and becoming present to what's happening inside of me um, that allows all of the stuff on the inside to come surface to the top. And now we have things that we can bring before God in prayer. And, and that's how God begins to interact with us. Yeah. But, but now you've hit on something that's, that's hard. Hmm. Um, I mentioned to you just before the conversation about the Calvin and Hobbes books that I have on my bookshelf. Yeah. My fa- my favorite one is entitled "The Monsters Under the Bed Are Drooling," and I think that um, <laughs> this idea, for, for instance, of being silent so that we can hear what's going on in our interior world, is I think many of us are keenly aware that to enter into that is going to invite a world of painful experience or um, a struggle. Um, to work through some of that stuff. You you talked about Gregory had a chapter in one of his books that the chapter is entitled "Why Purif- Why Is Purification So Painful?" Yeah. How do we, I guess, find the courage to engage with those dark things that we're aware are in there? Maybe suppression has been the way that we've managed them so far. Yeah, suppression or distraction. Yeah. Um, I think this is where community comes in and the challenge here is like what comes first like community mm-hmm. or our ability to do some of this work interiorly um i think that's just like something that we all have to navigate because there's some sense in which we all carry around degrees of shame and hiding which prevent us from coming into deep relationship and community and there's another sense in which we can't really heal from that stuff until we actually are around some people who are able to love us through that stuff. So I I talk a lot about spiritual friendship, and um, this is where the work of spiritual direction can come in. I know we talked a little bit about spiritual direction in, in your world, um, and it's something I'm really committed to because my experience over time is that um, – People need a really safe, um, aware, and someone who knows the inner working of the human soul to sit with and help Mm -hmm. reflect back to them um, what they notice and what they see. And that that level of spiritual friendship that emerges in that relationship um, allows the shame to surface. And then the spiritual director is the person that is sitting there with the grace of God um, and the love of God. And so I, I think... Spiritual direction is a great start for people who are hesitant to go deeper into their inner life. Mm-hmm. Um, spiritual friendship is another place, like people who are really committed to one another and committed to the spiritual formation of one another can be a, a place where we can come in and just say what's true about what's happening inside of our life. Um, but ultimately, a community of people who are committed uh, to some of the same things um, which is what the church is. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, offering healing healing and grace to one another. And I love that we're trying to hold these two things in this conversation, this idea of community and this idea of engaging with our interior world. I do think that 
it might be worth us considering that so much of maybe our Western evangelical church culture is actually the messages that we sometimes receive is really is not to engage so much with with what's going on inside. There's sometimes a triumphalism or a, mm. um, even that we can um, Bible verse or pray away um, difficult things that we're dealing with. And so there feels like a, a, a tension there when we talk about bringing these practices into a community that there's so that's not just kind of individuals saying we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. There needs to be kind of a a change in in mindset in whole church communities, a humility almost that we have to uh, accept. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think the um, I have for the past many years gotten a lot of pushback from folks around how much attention I I ask people to pay to what's happening on the inside of them. And so there's this critique often hmm. of the formation world that it's this like navel gazing work. Um, you know, you should lift your eyes up to, um, to the work of mission and let's train you in evangelism. And like that will help free you from whatever it is that you're struggling with. And in some regard, I think that some of that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, we do need ways to get outside of ourselves, mm-hmm. But I think it's to the detriment of the real healing work that God wants to do. If we think and, and take a step back, even in theologically, um, you think of someone like St. Augustine um, and other ch- early church fathers that Augustine said something like um, that he realized that God was closer to himself than he was to himself. You know, you think about... Um, the way, the way I say this is that you, you cannot be attentive to God unless you are attentive to yourself because, um, because God is attentive to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we have to join. So I think the, the image that I have is that, um, you know, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Christ has stitched himself to the human person. And it's like all of those dark places that we are struggling to really get at inside of us. My image is that God is already deep, deep inside of us waiting for us to go there. And then he will join us and say, okay, let's talk about this thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it is this relationship between what happens between me and God in places of quiet and solitude and prayer and then the way in which I bring that into community is has to it has to be this two way traffic, mm-hmm. and that I think is well I think it's what Jesus is talking about in John fifteen you know like remain in me and let my love remain in you, and you will bear much fruit. Well, what's the fruit? The fruit is that you will be a part of a community of people where you are laying down your life for one another in love. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that this works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was thinking earlier about Luke 8 when Jesus talks about there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be brought out into the open, mm. which when I was growing up was kind of a, thre- <laughs> a threat. Yeah, that's right. We're going to get you. We're going to find out. Yeah, but he's talking about this whole sense of the, the, the those who follow him are like, um, you know, that community is like a lamp. That's, that's on display and as you come close to it these things are brought out into the open yeah um god that we would that our churches would become known as places 
of healing where we can bring things into the light and to be trusted communities where we can be as we are and find transformation and healing with each other and with Jesus, you know? Yeah, that's right. And I think even in response to what is actually happening in the world, I, I just happened to be in some conversation with folks in the UK who've shared with me mm-hmm. um, the same level of mental health crisis happening there as is happening here in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, just the the numbers are staggering, mm-hmm. uh, particularly for young people around what they're facing in mental health wise. And so, um, you know, there's not enough counselors and therapists and pastoral counselors to bear the weight of the problem right now. Um, but what the solution, what, what people are finding is that like, we need to have these folks talk to people. Mm-hmm. And so it's that, it's that communal piece is that, you know, the, the, the lack of healing um, sort of gets stuck in when, when we're in isolation and, and loneliness sets in. I wanted to read a quote. Is it Dorotheus? Is that how you say it? Dorotheus of Gaza? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. Yeah, I've only I've only seen it in print, so I've <laughs> never heard anyone say it out loud. So your guess is as good as mine. So here's the quote from Dorotheus. It's, Let us suppose that the circle is the world and that God himself is the center. The string lines drawn from the circumference to the center are the lives of human beings. Let us assume for the sake of the analogy that to move towards God then, human beings move from the circumference along the various radii of the circle to the center. But at the same time, the closer they are to God, the closer they become to one another. And the closer they are to one another, the closer they become to God. And I just love this picture of the weaving in and out. And it's one of the things I really appreciated about what you're trying to present in the book is not hear a bunch of disciplines that you can go and practice on your own, but the church becoming the community where we are aware of the presence of God, not just as some kind of external thing in our worship services, but in our very relationships with one another as we're working through these deep things. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. There's uh, a chapter in the book on the practice of what I call faults and affirmations. And... Um, this is a classic example of, of doing formation in community. And so the way that faults and affirmations works is you have a, a group of trusted people, maybe a community group or a home group or a family. So we've done this in our family quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And um, you just do faults and affirmations. And what that is, is that everyone has an opportunity to say out loud a way in which they have um, sinned against someone in the room. Like, so in, in family life, this has been like, really great for us because, you know, as my kids, I have four daughters uh, mm-hmm. who are now between the ages of 20 and almost 13. And so as we practiced this around the table when they were growing up, you know, maybe a, a two or three times a month, we would do faults and affirmations. It became an opportunity for me to say out loud ways that I had sinned against them with the tone of my voice, with the harshness of my words, with my impatience. And well, what do they learn from that? They learn, number one, that it's okay to make mistakes. We have a we have a thing for that. It's called forgiveness. And they learn how to um, say what's so uh, about their own life, too. Like, it creates an environment where they get to name 
the ways in which they're falling short. But then the flip side is that we also are paying attention to the ways in which we see the grace of God at work in one another. And that's the affirmations part. And we we set aside time to say, hey, I just see this happening in you. I see courage welling up in you. Um, and this is to your point is that we need other people to reflect back what's true about us, both what's true about us and is in need of God's grace and is what is true about us and is the result of God's grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it has just borne a tremendous amount of fruit in our life as a family and in some of the communities that I lead. I can imagine there may be church leaders who are listening to this and they may think to themselves, this all sounds great, but it sounds very messy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and am I going to be the one who has to clean up all of these people bringing all of their stuff and getting in connection with what's going on inside? And and I wonder what you might say to church leaders and their role in kind of encouraging communities that look like this, that become a place of trust and formation. I mentioned this at several times throughout the book to say, um, if you want to lead a community that begins to take on this kind of shape and has this level of vulnerability and is really rooted in the, in the healing work of God, as a leader, you have to be willing to, to go there first and to do the work um, and to be committed to your own healing. And I think for most of us as leaders, that's going to include some counseling, some therapy, um, all of the things that we know are true now that are surfacing all throughout the church around uh, leaders that are blowing up and blowing out and, Mm. um, you know, so much compassion for those folks who didn't have environments where or didn't choose to put themselves in environments where they were able to work through some of what, you know, was, was in those deep places that eventually just led to acting out in ways that um, are really hard for communities to recover from. So um, I think leaders, leaders need to go there first. You, You can't give away what you don't have. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it will be messy, but first it might be your own mess that you have to wade through. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. But this is what it means to lead yeah. in this moment. Yeah. Like if you want to, I just, I, I, I hope this sounds soft. I, I, I'm not trying to sound combative, but if you want to be a leader, this is what is required of you. You have to do this work internal. God, heal me of the things. And, and to create an environment of grace where as leaders, we all know that, look, we're all on this journey and it's going to last until all eternity where God is slowly teaching us how to love in the way that he loves, which means that even if I'm a decade into a journey of deep formational work with God, there are going to be ways that I just really mess up. Mm. And um, we just have to have space for that. And I think um, that maybe what you're speaking about, what you write about in the book is a big part of what might heal some of the tension that's come out of um, our time in lockdown and with COVID and some of the disorientation that happened during that time. 
and the experience of people trying to re-enter communities, but with a sense of things maybe need to change from what they were before. And as as usual, I think we start to look at models of church and the way that we do mm. our worship. So, and all of that, which is valid to take a look at that again. But maybe at the heart of that is this, I think, people's longing for community where there's a reality about who we are and a reality about God's presence with us. Um, yeah, That's right. And, you know, not to not to overly reiterate something, I, I really think the, the way that we grow in our capacity to be that kind of community is as individuals to, to recognize that um, if I'm not experiencing the love and the kindness of God, there's probably something at work that's counter to that in my life. And that's what I think we all need to get curious about. Um, why am I not experiencing the love of God? If it's the primary message of the, of the entire entirety of the scriptures is that God loves you. He is pursuing you. He is pouring out his love into the world through the person of Jesus and into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. If that's all of God's energy to us, why do I not know that? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's just sort of where the flesh and sin and the enemy come in. And and we have to create communities that let that mess work its way out yep. so that we can get underneath why the shame exists, why so much fear and anxiety exists in us. Yep. Jared, thank you so much. I mean, I really recommend people um, read the book and explore some of the ideas that you're presenting and actually there's a quite a deep practicality about the book as well about how these things can be worked out as individuals um as communities as leaders um so really worth picking it up and reading it i i wonder jared i think there may be plenty of people who might be listening to this now who are maybe in a state of inner tension or stress anxiety maybe that sense that god um is far from them Mm. maybe feeling the need to dig into some of the pain that they're experiencing not quite knowing where to begin and um we've talked a lot about how they might people might begin to engage with with spiritual practices that might aid in that Mm. i wonder if we might just finish would you be willing to just pray for people who may be listening and maybe in that place just a prayer of God's presence and comfort for them would be great. Yeah, I would love that. I'll pray just directly to to that right now. So, uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. And wherever folks are listening to this, Lord, I ask that you would come and that you would come into the room or into the car or on the walk that people are on, Lord, and that you would fill hearts with your love and your presence. I pray that the peace of Christ would rule in your heart. And with the Apostle Paul, I pray that you would come to know what is the width and the breadth and the length and the depth of the love of God for you, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Jared, thank you for being on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, it's really a pleasure. Thank you so much.
Well, thank you Jared and Kenny for bringing to light a new way of looking at spiritual formation being something we do in community and not just by ourselves. This will hopefully impact our churches as we seek to grow closer to God together. In our next episode, Kenny is joined by Dr. Paulus de Jong, who teaches on the Gospel of John at WTC and received his PhD from the University of St. Andrews. And yes, that's the one up in Scotland, Kenny. They will be looking at how certain themes from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament are clearly seen within the Gospel of John in the New Testament. This episode is a real eye-opener. Theodisc is part of WTC, a theological college that seeks to partner with the church through equipping and sending the whole people of God. Our innovative hub model allows you to study on any of our part-time programs without leaving your work or ministry. Come and find out more at wtctheology.org.uk Thank you for listening to episode 31 of Theodisc. Join us for episode 32 with Paulus de Jong as we discover Exodus in the Gospel of John. Bye for now.